but we'll start off here in 1 Thessalonians 5.8. You need one, Shay? You need one? So 1 Thessalonians 5, 8. Um, but let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. So the confidence of our salvation. So I do find it interesting that the the armor of God is the helmet of salvation. And why is it the helmet of salvation? And I would say to you that the helmet of salvation protects your head. That in the video game world, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's headshots. And those are, are, that's it, you're dead. You're, you get shot in the head or you get hit in the head and, and that's it. In, the, in Ephesians chapter 6, God makes it clear that the enemy is constantly firing these, arrow, these fiery arrows at us. But you have on this helmet of salvation, this protects your head. And I think that really does speak to you cannot lose your salvation. You can't die a second time. You, don't, you can't walk away from it. The enemy can't take you away from it. And we'll go through a, a few verses fairly quickly here this morning um, to kind of go through that again. But I just think the helmet of salvation is very important. There's a reason that it's the helmet of salvation. God protects you. You can never lose your life, your salvation in him. So... Very important. Um, the other thing I find important in these verses is that he did not create us for wrath. So he didn't create us to punish us. He didn't create us to condemn us. Um, he created us because he loved us. And that he has a plan and a purpose for our lives. He doesn't need us, but he wants to use us um, in, in that plan and purpose. And if we're willing, able, and available, he will use us. Now I'm going to jump around to quite a few verses, so I don't expect you to follow all the verses. Um, I'll have them up on the screen. Um, the ones I do think are important, I'll, I'll tell you. I think this is an important one that you should go to. Um, so the next verse is going to be John 10.27. That we're going to go through here. So, And this is more speaking to the... We can never lose our salvation, and God gives us quite a few verses to, to reaffirm that, to confirm that in our hearts. That once we've asked Jesus into our life, he never leaves. He, we can't walk away from him. It's a permanent thing. Um, so John ten twenty seven, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hands. The Father and I are one. So this is Jesus speaking here, that, that he, he gives us eternal life and that we will never perish. No one can take us away from him, right? So once we're saved, we have that eternal life. No one can take us away from him. Um, God is more powerful than anyone else out there. That God loved us so much that he gave his one and only son for us. We find that in John 3.16. Um, and that Jesus 
is the perfect example of love, that self-sacrificing love. He sacrificed himself on the cross for our sins. I'm going to jump over to Romans 8.38. And again, just going over, you can never lose your salvation. So Romans 8.38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So nothing can separate us from God. I mean, he he lists everything there. There's nothing that can separate us from God. And then some people argue, well, that's fine. I can't lose my salvation, but I can walk away from it. No, you can't. He makes that clear. Nor any other created thing. We're created beings. We can't walk away from our salvation. We ask Jesus into our life. He doesn't leave. He doesn't leave because we did something bad. He doesn't leave because we're mad. He doesn't leave because we fall short. Um, and we talked about this last week. And I think the best way to, for me to confirm this, because I struggled with this, you know, where does that leave me in my life? You know, I grew up Catholic. I believe Jesus. Um, where what would have happened to me? And I'm not really sure. You know, had I died before the age of 30, before I truly became saved, where would I have ended up? I'm not sure I could answer that. Um, you know, it's kind of like trying to draw a fine line. Is you know, how what's the bare minimum I have to do to be saved? And that, I think that's a dangerous place to be. Um, I, I know for me that I know I'm saved, that I asked Jesus into my life. I once lived a life this way, and my life now is the opposite. I've, I've let that the old life go. I've repented of my sins. I've turned and walked the other way, walking with God. And that no doubt that I'm saved. Um, but David and Bathsheba. So David is King David. He's David and Goliath David. As a boy, grows up to be the king um, through a long process. But through his life, he goes on to have this affair with Bathsheba. And then, doesn't stop there, gets her pregnant, decides, oh, I'll bring Uriah home, her husband, from battle. And maybe he'll sleep with her and, and think that the kid is his. And Uriah is an honest, admirable man. He says, no, if my men are out of battle, you know, I, I brought this, this message home to you like you asked, but I'm not sleeping in my house comfortably. I'm going to sleep outside. My men are outside. That's what I'm going to do. So then David, well, maybe I'll get him drunk, and then he'll go inside. Nope. And the second night he gets, gets him drunk but doesn't go inside. So then David decides, well, this is what I'll do. I'll give him, tell give him a message to carry back to the commander. And the message was, send your ride to the heat of the battle. Send him to the front lines. And when the enemy attacks, tell all the other men to pull back. So Uriah was left there by himself and got killed. So Uriah, an honest man, holds his own death sentence, carries that message out, never looks at it, honorable man, and gets killed. So this is David. This is David, King David, the mighty, you know, King David. And look at what he's done. And in Psalms, he writes... At the end of this, he's convicted. Nathaniel the prophet comes to him and gives him this story. And the story is, David, there's a, a man in your kingdom, and all he has is this one sheep. He's so poor, that's all he can afford is this one sheep. And he loves this sheep like it's his own. The sheep eats at his table with him, you know. And there's a rich man in your kingdom. And the rich man had some guests over. And the rich man has many sheep. 
But instead of slaughtering one of his own sheep for his feast, he went and stole the poor man's sheep. And he, he slaughtered it and he used that for his feast. And David gets mad and says, oh, I'm going to punish this man. Tell me who he is. And Nathan, Nathaniel, the prophet, says, David, that man is you. You stole the one man's sheep, the poor man's sheep. And then David's convicted of his sins. And David writes in Psalms, lots of the Psalms are written by David. And it's his heart. And he writes in the Psalms, Lord, return to me the joy of my salvation. Not return to me my salvation, but return to me the joy. So even though David lives in this awful, deep, wicked sin, still never lost his salvation during that time. Um, and that was what, going through that was what finally convinced me in my mind, yes, I, I believe this. I believe that I never can lose my salvation. Um, and we're to stand firm in our salvation. That, that, that we're to have that confidence, like we read in First Thessalonians 5, 8, and 9. We're to have that confidence in our salvation. Put on the helmet, the confidence of salvation, that guarantee that God will never leave us. Um, so, with that, we we'll want to go to Second Peter 3, 9. Um, so, we have this guarantee of salvation. Um, and I want to explain, too, why, why did God create us, you know, and how did we get to where we're at? Because there is one unforgivable sin, and we want to go through that today. Um, but the, the point is that there are no other sins that we can't be forgiven for. Um, and you think of any sin. You think of what we just heard with David and, and Bathsheba, you know, an affair, murder. God still forgives, you know. Um, so anyways... Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So God makes it clear here that he's not willing for any to perish, that he wants all to come to repentance, all to believe in his son, all to be saved. That's his will. God's will is that everyone would come to know Jesus. Um, and I'm thankful. I'm thankful. And Peter, Peter writes this because some of the believers are saying, well, you said Jesus is coming back. Is he slow to this? Why hasn't he come back yet? And the reason he hasn't come back yet is he's waiting. He's waiting for all of his believers to, to accept him, to believe in him. You know, I'm thankful he didn't come back 11 years ago because I'm not sure I was saved 11 years ago, but I am sure confident I am saved today. Um, but Think of all the people that you know that aren't saved. And, and I'm thankful that he hasn't come back yet. You know, I have a brother that I'm hopeful that will come to know the Lord before he comes back. Um, so, it's God's will that none of us here perish, but all repent and receive Jesus. And then in Matthew twenty-five forty-one, Then the king will return, I'm sorry, then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. So in Matthew here, this is Jesus speaking himself, and he's talking about the final judgment. He says, I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats, and the sheep will be on one side and the goats will be on the other. And the, the sheep are his believers and the goats are those who don't believe in him. And, and to the goats, the ones who don't believe in him, he's going to say, away with you, into the eternal fire but he explains what was hell created for. It was created for the devil and his demons. 
not for people. You know, we just read above, it's not God's will that any should perish. So God's will is that all would come to know him. He didn't create hell for humans. He didn't have that in mind. He created it for the, the, the devil and his demons. Um, and I think this also speaks to kind of when did Satan fall? And, and I'd say, some people say, oh, after creation, when Eve was in the garden, is about the time Satan fell. I don't know. I think it was before creation. Because when God created the earth, he created it and prepared this place for the devil and his demons. So I think that that's important to know why did God create hell? You know, it's a question that people ask. And it's a very valid question. Um, and now we know the answer. God's given us the answer, you know, through his word. And and the, the topic that we're going to talk about today, that's why there's so many verses. You know, God makes it very clear to us through his word and his whole counsel with his word. The Old Testament, the New Testament, it all points to Jesus, to Jesus' love for us, to his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. And then we're going to jump to Romans 10.9. And this is a verse that we've been to quite a few times. Um, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, period, right? For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, Anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jews and Gentiles are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This means that anyone, oh, I'm sorry, will be saved, period. Um, so, if you believe in Jesus is God, you will be saved. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. End of story. Um, nothing else gets you to heaven. Nothing else grants you salvation. Not believe in Jesus and be baptized. Not believe in Jesus and continue living right. You know, don't ever sin. No, it doesn't say that. It's not anything else. It's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Jesus alone. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sins. The fact that he rose again, that death couldn't hold him, that he lived a sinless life, that he defeated sin on the cross, that he defeated the enemy on the cross. Because of that, we are saved. Our belief in that. God, Jesus is at the right hand of God right now. Um, and then in 2 Corinthians 5.17 when we become saved, we're a new creation. And God makes it very clear right here. So starting in verse 17, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. We're a new creation. Now, does this mean that we become saved and we become perfect? We don't sin anymore? No. Unfortunately, we're still sinful people. And we still make mistakes. We still fall short of God's glorious standard. But he's quick and eager to forgive us when we ask for it. Um, we may not be sin less, but I sin a whole lot less than I did before I was saved. And there should be that in your life. You should sin less than what you did. You should look at the things of your old life and realize that that's not me. That's not who I am. That's not who God called me to be. And I live a different life now. Not a perfect life. I still fall short. 
I still get angry with my kids. I still get angry with my wife. I still have uh, a temper. I still are prone to um, be prideful in my life. I'm still prone to step out ahead of God, to, to lead the way I think is best without waiting on Him. I still make many mistakes in my life, but not the egregious mistakes and sins that before. And that's what it is. The old life is gone. New life has come. We're a new creation. You know, I can remember thinking before I was saved, you know, this isn't really me. This isn't who I am. And that's absolutely right. That's the Holy Spirit that's guiding. And we're going to get into that. You know, what is the Holy Spirit's role in our life? So I would encourage you, you know, when the enemy comes against you, and we talked about this last week, the fiery darts from the enemy... I think God makes it clear the helmet of salvation. You can't lose your salvation. Those fiery darts can't separate you from God. But I do think the fiery darts come a lot of the ways in our own mind, thoughts in our head. Um, And it's just Satan and and the enemy. We have this threefold enemy, our sinful natures, the world that we live in, the the world system. And I think if you want an example of the world system, look at commercial TV. Look at the commercials and the ways that they lie to you. So if you drink... This beer, you'll be happy. If you drive this car, you'll be happy. If you do this, you'll be happy. And it's all one lie after another. You know, this world system. And then the third part of the enemy is, is Satan and his demons. You know, that's a threefold enemy. And they're always trying to pull us away from God. Not that we lose our salvation, but they can make us ineffective. They can get us out of position. God's positioned us for a purpose and a reason. We all have a job to do in the body of Christ, in the church, in God's church, we have a role to play, to encourage, to love others, to walk righteously, to encourage others to walk righteously. That's the role that we play. Um, and there's many other specific details that go into that. But the enemy's always trying to get us out of position, always trying to, things come up, you know, I don't, can't, I can't make it to church, you know. There's many times in my life where something had come up and I couldn't make it to church, end up way late, you know, and thinking, oh, we're going to be like, way late, like. 30 minutes late and still go. And I do think sometimes it was, you know, because we're having trouble getting out of the house, but sometimes it was something that came up that was out of our control that we couldn't, um, there was an attack from the enemy. And, and those thoughts come in your head. Uh, I'm just going to skip it today. I'm not going to go. And we'd go. And inevitably what we heard spoke right to what we were going through at that time. You know, the enemy didn't want you to hear that. The enemy didn't want you in that position to receive that encouragement from God um, and tried his best to get us away from it. But when we still pursue the things of God, that's, that's where we need to be. Um, that's living rightly. That's pursuing God even when it's not easy, even when it's not comfortable, even when it's not popular. Um, so let's go to 1 John 1.6. Um, I think this is important, especially, you know, when I first became a believer, I thought, wow, there's no way I could be forgiven for all that I've done, you know, so the way I rationalize it is, well, okay, heaven is probably like this giant, giant stadium, and after all I've done, the best I can do is maybe get a seat in the nosebleed section, or be pretty far away, you know. And that's not true. That's not what that, not what God teaches us. So, 
1 John 1, starting here in chapter 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him, with God, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So I think it's important. All sin. You know, when you look up this word in the Greek, all, it still means all. All means all always. So God makes it clear. He cleanses us by the blood of his son from all sin. So continuing on here in verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous, so that he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So, why do we make God a liar? Um, If we say that we have not sinned, you know, and, and that goes back to Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not a person on this earth that hasn't sinned, that doesn't need Jesus' salvation through his death on the cross, that doesn't need Jesus to take his place um, because all sin leads to death. And Jesus sacrificed himself for us that we may live again. God makes that very clear. Um, so if we say that we have not sinned, when God says all have sinned, then we're saying that God's a liar. Um, and that's going to go into what we're going to talk about also. What is blasphemy? You know, you hear that term a lot in the Bible, um, and we'll get into that. But I think one of the ways you can blaspheme God is you call him a liar. When God says one thing in his word, and we say, no, that's not true, God. You know, no, I, I haven't sinned. And, and there are people that want to think that they haven't sinned that they, their family has a sin. My kids would never do that. Um, and we all fall into that. You know, I think there's times where I think my kids, oh, there's no way they could do that. And, and yet they have. They all fall short. All of our, all of our families do. All of us do. And, and that's why God is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins. So if we confess our sins... God is faithful and righteous, and he will forgive us. Um, And he doesn't stop there. It says that he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not just forgive us, but lead us away from the things that aren't good in our lives. Draw us closer to him. It's this process of sanctification. Um, Psalms 103, verse 8, I think makes it clear. These are probably ones that you should go to. These are ones that you should have highlighted in your Bible, underlined in certain spots. Um, When God forgives us, he explains how he forgives us in these next verses and why he forgives us and who he is, who his character is. Um, And this is important. This is important because I I think that sometimes we, we have a misunderstanding of God, that we think that he's up there, He's a mighty, powerful God, which he very much is. But we think that he's an angry God. He's angry at us and that he'll never forgive us. And that's why God gave us these verses right here and makes it very, very clear to us as to why he, he made us, why he treats us the way he does, how much he loves us, and how he forgives us. That's, 
very important. You know, oftentimes I think I think of it as, you know, the world is one way, and then God's trying to change it. No, God established all this from the creation, and the world has just come along and tried to pervert and and change my mind on who God is and dull my senses and and pull me away from God. Um, So Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all of our sins he does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far away as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. So God is compassionate, merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unconditional love. He doesn't punish us for all of our sins. He doesn't deal harshly with us as we deserve. And I would say that's a model that we're not to deal harshly with other people. With other people in our lives, with our children, with our bosses, with our coworkers, with our wives. We're not to deal harshly. God doesn't deal harshly with us, even though we deserve it, and we shouldn't we should model that ourselves and not deal harshly with others. He has removed our sins as far away as the east is from the west. And we've been over this. He's cleared it from your record. Um, We saw an example of this. We talked about Hebrews in chapter 11 and Sarah. And she said to have received in faith that that she would have a child. But when we read about in the Old Testament, and, and God makes it clear to... To Abraham, you're going to have a child a year from now when I come back to visit you. And, and she laughs, so she doesn't receive it. But what I would say in the meantime, what happened between that Old Testament writing and Hebrews chapter 11 was that Sarah asked for forgiveness and that Jesus died on the cross and that that death on the cross didn't cover sin like in the Old Testament with sacrifices, but removed our sin, removed it from our record. And when God is giving an account of who Sarah is in the New Testament, in Hebrews, that, that laughter, that unforgiveness is not on the record books. He's wiped it clean, never to come up again. He removes our sin as far away as the east is from the west. When he forgives, he doesn't hold it over our head. He doesn't um, wait for us to screw up again. Oh, I got you here and remember last time and this time? No, it's not like that with God. When we ask him forgiveness, he wipes our record clean never brings it up again. It takes one time to ask for forgiveness. And if we have that conviction in our head and in our heart, I would tell you that that's that's the fiery arrows from the enemy that's coming in the way of our thoughts. Well, you can't really be forgiven for this. Do you remember this? And there's some pretty awful things that have probably gone on in all of our lives. And yes, God forgives us for all of them. Ask for it once. And when it comes again, that fiery attack from the enemy, I would encourage you, pick three people to pray for that do not know Jesus. Have those three people picked out. You know, mine are Charlie Turner, Matt Myers, and Paul Fonte. And when the enemy comes and attacks me, you're not good enough. Do you remember this? You really can't be forgiven for this. I pick those three people and I just pray for them. God, please, please bring these three people to salvation. 
So I've taken the enemy's attack and I've turned it around against him. And eventually those thoughts go away. Those accusing, you know, you'll never be good enough. You can never be forgiven for this. You really aren't saved. All those thoughts go away when you turn the enemy's attack against them. And I would encourage each of you to do that. Um, so like I said, God never brings it up again. He removes our sin, wipes the slate clean. He's tender and compassionate to his children. Um, he, he's like a father to us. He loves us. When we, when we come to him humbly, when we ask for forgiveness, does he forgive? Absolutely. Absolutely. Think of your own, your own kids made a mistake, have done something wrong, and you go to punish them, and they get the, I'm sorry. But an I'm sorry without repentance, the Bible calls, is a worldly apology. And that is. If you, there's no repentance. And when we can tell as parents, when our kids say, oh, I'm sorry, but they don't really mean it. But think of it when you are correcting them, and they do finally come, and they truly are repentant, and they're sad for what they've done. How do you feel as a parent? And, and I really feel like, oh, they get it. They understand. Now, now we've made some progress. We won't make this mistake again, hopefully. You know, and just think of how much more God is loving and compassionate towards us when we do the same thing. When we truly, God, please forgive. I do understand. I should not have done this. I am remorseful. I am repentant. Um, how much more does he love us and encourage us? Um, so we're going to go to second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. And I just want to talk briefly about the Trinity, the father, the son, and the Holy spirit. Um, and this could probably be a whole study in itself, but I just want to briefly get into to what God's word says about that, of, of who, who the Trinity is. Um, and so there's a couple verses here that I think make it pretty clear. And there's quite a few verses in the Bible that make it clear. And these are just a couple that, that I pulled out. So 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace, this is Paul writing to the Corinthians. And he's, he's closing out this letter to them. This is his farewell. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. He calls out the three distinct persons. Jesus, God the Father, the Holy Spirit. And then to further kind of drive the point home in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, This is Jesus speaking for himself when he's telling his, his disciples to go out to all the nations. Um, so these are Jesus' words in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now I think it's important here, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, baptizing them in the name, singular, not names. So this is a, like I said, a, a, something we could go into a whole study on. Um, but these are three distinct persons that together make up one God. So three, three distinct persons that make up one God. Three distinct deities, three distinct gods that make up the one God. And how that actually works, I don't know. That's a concept bigger than I can understand. Um, but I'm going to take God at his word. That these three together are the one God we worship. You know. 
sometimes I've struggled with that, especially when I was younger, like, well, isn't it really three gods you're worshiping? And the answer to that is no. It's three distinct deities that make up one god. Um, and it's important. Um, I think one of the most important things that I take away from this, though, and we're going to learn about the Holy Spirit's role. What is the Holy Spirit's role in our lives and in this world? And what we're looking at here is three who are equal in their importance, in their significance, and in their worth. In their, are they worthy to be worshipped as God? They're equal in that respect. So they're, these three are equal in their importance, in their significance, and in their worth. Um, and all three with different roles to play. They all three have three distinctly different roles. While they're equal in importance, significance, and worth, they have different roles. And this, to me, is one of the models of, of men and women, of husbands and wives. As husbands and wives, as men and women, we are equal in importance, in significance, and in our worth. But we each have different roles to play. And not one role is, is better than the other. From our worldly standpoint, we can look at it, you know, you know if I was the, the son, that seemed like a lower role than the father, no. And you constantly see Jesus submitting to the will of the father. Does that put him in a lower role? No. They are equal in their importance, significance, and worth. They just have different roles to play, and they model it great for us. So as men and women, we have different roles to play. Does that mean that one role is greater than the other? Absolutely not that we're equal in importance, significance, and worth. We just have different roles to play. And you see that modeled out here. And I think that is important. That's kind of a side note. That really isn't the key to this. But I just think it's important in, that we look at that. Um, so now we're going to go to John chapter 16, verse 7. And we want to look just at what is the Holy Spirit's role in our lives. So, here, John 16, verse 7. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I am leaving. For if I do not leave, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And, and he, when he comes, will convict the world regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. So this is Jesus, and he's speaking to his disciples, and he's letting them know that I'm going to have to leave you. Um, but he says that it's important that I do leave you, because if I don't, the helper will not come. The helper is the Holy Spirit. Um, and I would say the reason for that is they didn't need the Holy Spirit if Jesus was with, was with them. Jesus, the Son of God, is walking with them. Do they need the Holy Spirit to convict them of sin, to lead them in righteousness, to remind them of the coming judgment? No, because they have God with him. So he says, it's important that I leave you. And when I do, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, the helper. You know, the Holy Spirit's role is very important. And oftentimes, wives, your role in the Bible is the helper. That's the same as the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's job is very important. Think of, and we'll go through um, this, what the Holy Spirit does in our lives 
and it is huge. It's very important. It is a big role, and it's not one role is better than the other. They're equal um, in their importance and their significance and in their worthiness to be praised as God, um, but they just have different roles. So the Holy Spirit's role is the, is the helper. Um, and when he comes, he comes for three things. To convict the world regarding sin. But notice how it's singular, not sins, plural. Regarding sin. That's important. We're going to about to get to that on the next slide. And righteousness and judgment. So those are the three roles of the Holy Spirit. So continuing on here in verse 9. Regarding sin, singular, because they do not believe in me. And regarding righteousness, because I am going to the Father, and you no longer are going to see me. And regarding judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. So, again, we see in sin, in the very first verse up here in verse 9, and it's singular, and it's the sin, he explains it, the sin of not believing in Jesus. So that's the, the Holy Spirit's first job. Is Before we were believers, the Holy Spirit is convicting us of our sin, singular. And that sin is not believing in Jesus. I think as, as Christians, we get upset. Well, how could these people do these things? Well, are they believers? If they're not believers, you know, why would you be surprised? If, if they don't believe in Jesus, they don't believe in God's word, why would you be surprised that their lives... Um, are sinful, that they do things that you can't believe. Um, the Holy Spirit first doesn't convicts us that we need to believe in Jesus, because that's where it starts. Our belief in Jesus. Once we believe in Jesus, we receive him into our life, we go through this process the Bible calls sanctification, where we're made more like him. Less evil and more Jesus. Um, the second role of the Holy Spirit is and regarding righteousness. Because I'm going to the Father, and you are no longer going to see me. Jesus is no longer going to be with them. So they, the first thing is we believe in Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit's job, to convict us of that, that we need Jesus. The second job is to guide us in righteousness, in our right decisions. So as the, the fiery attacks, the fiery darts from the enemy that we read in Ephesians chapter 6, as that comes into our mind, we also have the Holy Spirit who is leading us and guiding us in righteousness. That's why... You know, I have all these thoughts in my mind. Which one of them is from God? Well, which one of them lines up with God's word? You know, that's how, that's how I can tell. The Holy Spirit, we're not just left on our own to these accusations. We kind of went through this last time. You know, Satan has no power. The Bible makes that clear. He roams around like a roaring lion, but who's been defeated, you know. And, and the Bible makes that clear here. The rule of this world has been judged, past tense, done. He was defeated on the cross. He has no power. He roams around like a roaring lion with no teeth and no claws. He has no power over us. The power that he has is the power we give him when we believe the lies that he tells us, that we, that we can't live this way, that we can't be forgiven, that we can't have salvation, that we can't do this work that God's called us to do. Whatever it is, when we believe those lies, then he has power. Outside of that, he doesn't have power. Um, he's already been judged. It's done. It was taken care of on the cross. So continuing on here in verse 12. So I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them at this present time. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, 
he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. So I think you know, Jesus is saying, I have many more things to say to you about this. But right now, this is in the middle of his ministry. You guys can't bear them. I've already given you too much. You know, your brain's on overload. Um, but the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit shows us the truth, shows us right living, shows us the truth about Jesus, which is important. You know, that very first, his very first role, the spirit of truth, convicting us of the truth of who Jesus Christ is, that he is God, he is the Almighty, he died for our sins on the cross. Because of that, we can be forgiven. Not sins covered up, but sins removed from our record. Um, So that's his role, and it's very important, that part of it. So next... We just want to talk through what blasphemy is. You hear this a lot. We kind of talked about it earlier. You know, when we call God a liar, you know, when we say there's no sin in our life, God says all have sinned. Oh, but not me, God. Well, we're calling him a liar at that point. That makes sense. So blasphemy is, this is a a definition I've found. It's a verbal insult uttered intentionally and wickedly against God, revealing the offender's contempt for him. I also think that blasphemy is unbelief in God, that the Holy Spirit is God, and he's saying, look at Jesus, he is God. And when you don't believe that, you're saying, no, you're not really God. You're not really almighty. Jesus isn't God, isn't almighty. I don't believe that. I think that's blasphemy. Elevating ourselves to be equal or greater than God. You know, when we elevate ourselves, that was the the Old Testament, the the... Religious leaders often would accuse Jesus of being blasphemous. And because Jesus would make claims that he would elevate himself as, as God. You know, and that was one of the things that they would say would be blasphemous. So that's another blasphemy thing. You know, calling the spirit of truth a liar. You know, so in the last verse, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, when we call him a liar, when we... When he's convicting us that Jesus is God, believe in Jesus, and we say, no, he is not. You're lying to me. You know, it's essentially what we're saying. So there is one unforgivable sin, and that's what we're going to go into. Um, and if you guys want to go to Matthew twelve thirty one, So if you guys head to Matthew twelve thirty one, I'm going to start in Luke twelve ten, and I'm going to meet you there. You guys are headed to Matthew 12, 31. I'm going to start in Luke 12, 10. So Luke 12, 10. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. Um, So blasphemes against the Son of Man, against Jesus, will be forgiven. Another way that you can blaspheme is is you can use God's name as a curse word. Think of how we use God's name as a curse word. You know, I'm sure you guys 
we don't have to go into that specifically, but people say that often. People use the name of Jesus and they use it as a curse word. You know, that's one of the ways you could blaspheme the Son of Man. So Jesus, and this is Jesus speaking, says that even that will be forgiven. When you, you blaspheme against me, that'll be forgiven. So Mark 3.28 Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the sons and daughters of men, and whatever blasphemes they commit. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. So all sins again will be forgiven. Whatever blasphemes sons and daughters of men commit, meaning us, whatever we commit, those will all be forgiven. But what won't is the blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. And then that gets us to oops, Matthew twelve thirty one, And this one's important. That's why we're going to end here. Um, or end the topic, the talk of the, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, of what sins are forgiven or not, um, leads us here to Matthew twelve thirty one. So therefore I say to you, every sin and blaspheme shall be forgiven people. But blaspheme against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. So, again, Jesus, and all three times that we've looked at, is all Jesus speaking. Every sin and blaspheme will be forgiven. So there is no sin that we have in our life that we cannot be forgiven for. And oftentimes we think that. Well, I can't be forgiven for this. You know, this one's too big for God. No. Over and over again, we just read, God makes it clear. Jesus himself makes it very clear. Every sin and blaspheme will be forgiven. Whoever speaks against the Son of God, whoever uses Jesus' name as a curse word, whoever um, belittles or degrades the name of Jesus, it'll all be forgiven. So then that brings the question, what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? And, and I think it all ties with all the verses that we've, we've gone over. The Holy Spirit's first job, we read earlier, that singular sin, and Jesus explained it himself, is convicting the world of not believing in him. That's, that's number one. That's his first and most important job, I would say. And the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, as we read earlier, when we say that we don't have sin, when God says in his word that we all have sin, we call God a liar. So when we don't believe in Jesus, when, when the Holy Spirit is constantly pointing us to Jesus, believe in Jesus, he's the son of God, he's the way to eternal life, he's the way to the Father. When the Holy Spirit is constantly pointing us to Jesus and we say, no, he's not, no, he's not, I don't believe, we're calling the Holy Spirit a liar. And that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And that's the only unforgivable sin. So the only unforgivable sin, the only sin you cannot be forgiven for is your unbelief in Jesus. That is it. The Bible makes it very clear. And we kind of went through it fairly quickly with a lot of verses. But I hope this kind of explains to you that this is the only unforgivable sin. All other sins you are forgiven for. Jesus makes that very clear, went over that. He said it many times. Even when you talk bad about him, even when you blaspheme him, even when you use his name as a curse word, 
he still forgives you. The only time he doesn't forgive you is when you call the Holy Spirit a liar and you say, no, Jesus is not the Son of God. Jesus is not the Messiah. I don't believe what you're saying, Holy Spirit. That's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You've elevated yourself to be on equal footing with God. You can't really, you're not really God. I'm God, and I'm going to tell you what it is. I'm going to tell you that Jesus isn't true. And that's what you've done. You've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And that's the only unforgivable sin. Um, ultimately, there's some other places in the Bible where people have a hard time with this. Um, and I'd say one of them is with Moses. Moses is called to free the Israelites um, from Egyptian. They're enslaved by the Egyptians. So the Egyptians rule over them. And Moses is an Israelite who he was born. And at that time, they were killing all of the, the Israelite babies, the first, the males. And so his mom is worried about this. So she puts him in the basket, sends him down the river. He's found by Pharaoh's daughter, raised in the, raised in the, um, the line with Pharaoh and his family. And God calls him out. Um, he, he leaves, he leaves Egypt. He goes out into the wilderness after he kills an Egyptian, um, and spends some time out there and God calls him back and says, I want you to go back and free my people. And Moses has all kinds of excuses. You know, I can't do that. God, God, no, I want you to go back and free my people. So Moses goes back and God he tells Pharaoh, let my people go. Let them go out and worship their God like they're supposed to. And Pharaoh says no. And then God sends a sign and does this ten times, the ten plagues. And each time, Pharaoh, you can see, well, okay, no, and then changes his mind. And what Pharaoh's really doing is saying, no, you're not really God. I'm God. And, and it, it's common at that time that Pharaohs were worshipped as gods. So Pharaoh is... Each time God's showing him his power and his might, Pharaoh's magicians would come and do something similar. Not the same as God, but something similar. And Pharaoh would say, no, you're not really God. You're not really God. And so at the end of it, God hardens Pharaoh's heart, we read. And some people get worried about that. Well, what if God hardened my heart? What if I blasphemed the Holy Spirit? You know, Well, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, one, you wouldn't be in a Bible study if you had, number one. And two... You're, if you believed in Jesus, then you're not blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You believe, yes, the Holy Spirit's convicting you, pointing to Jesus. You believe you're no longer blaspheming him at that point. But where God's hardened Pharaoh's heart, um, some people get concerned with that. But I would say to you that long before God hardened Pharaoh's heart, Pharaoh hardened his own heart each time. And God just gave him the desires. That doesn't mean that that's what God wanted. We've, we've already read God's will is that none should perish. That he wants all to be saved. And God ultimately gives us the desires of our heart. And that's hard to receive. Because if we want to live a life separate from God, if we don't want to believe in Jesus, that's going to separate us for all of eternity. And that's not God's will. That's not his desire. But that's what he'll give us. And so we want to live this life here, and we don't want God in it. Well, that's fine. But at the end of this life then we're going to live all of eternity separate from him. And that's not his will. That's not his desire. But he gives us the desires of our heart, even when it doesn't line up with his. And sometimes that's hard to receive. But as far as the context, as the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, if you've received Jesus, 
then you have not blasphemed the Holy Spirit. You're not living in that sin, that unforgivable sin. It's not a permanent sin. It's a, it's a temporary place that we can be. And at any point, we can turn to Jesus and receive eternal life. So we'll finish up with a couple of verses here. Um, Romans 5, chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So what is this saying here? That while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Jesus knew the sins that we, we would commit. Nothing has caught him off guard or by surprise. He's not, oh, I didn't see that one coming. No, he knew what we'd do. And while we were sinners, knowing all the sins we would commit, he died for us. That's what the, that's what the Bible's saying here. That we're justified by his blood. You know, the blood that he shed on the cross for our sins. And while we were enemies with God, it says, while we were enemies with God, Jesus died for us. Another verse that I think kind of clears us up too is Ephesians 4.32. So Jesus died for us while we were sin, while we were sinners. And then how are we to live? Now we've received him. We're no longer in, living in that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We've received Jesus into our life. Um, and if we still have questions... Can God really forgive me? I think this, in my mind, this seals this up. Ephesians 4.32 Be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. So Jesus makes it clear. God has forgiven you. And how are we to live? He's forgiven us. We're to forgive others. And that's important. That's how we're to live our lives. He's made it very clear. In many passages, many places we've looked at today, that he forgives us. He forgives us. He forgives us. There's nothing he won't forgive us for. He's made it clear here that he has forgiven you and that we're to go on and go out in the world and forgive others. And that is it. So, so I don't know. It's kind of a, lots of verses I wish I could have shortened it down, but I just don't think I could have. But it, I think it's important to understand that, that we are forgiven for all of our sins. That salvation is not something that comes and goes. That once you're saved, you are saved for all of eternity. And that, that God loves us. And the reason he loves us, the reason how we know that he loves us is he sent his son to die in our place. That he knew sin would enter the world, but he had a plan long before that. He had it all planned out, and he knew that he would send his son in our place because of his love for us. So, any questions? Really? <laughs> you really have something? Yeah. I'm just kidding. Well, no, you, I know, I do. I always have something to say. I got something. No, I think you, well, you kind of like when you started talking about um, one thing that was considered blasphemy was saying, I thought you were going to go into saying the Lord's name in vain, which is, I understand that, but that, that wouldn't be forgiven, but you touched on that. Yeah. I think, Jesus saying, I think touched it's on so that. easy to say it all the time. People, you hear it all the time, but I don't, 
I didn't want people, I don't ever want people to think, well, I, I'm not saved now because I've, I've done that. Yeah. And, and using the Lord's name in vain and blasphemy are two different things. Okay. Just to be clear yeah. on that. So. But it, it, would, it felt like it kind of went, maybe I'm wrong. I felt like it was like, I thought it, I got a little worried. Yeah. I didn't know if that was, if no. touched on that. No. And so Jesus makes it clear that any <laughs> blasphemy against him, all of it, the only blasphemy that's not forgiven is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And it's not an eternal, you can't, you can't be forgiven of that. We all at one time lived in that blasphemy. The Holy Spirit's convicting us of who Jesus is, and we've chose no, you know, not yet. I'll, I'll wait until I clean up my life. I'll wait until this point. Then I'll, then I'll become a Christian. Then I'll start doing the right thing. Whatever it is, we're living in that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's convicting us, but it's not a permanent one. It's a it's a no, temporary I, blasphemy, I and when we receive it, Jesus, that sin is removed from our record. But where some people say, "Oh, but what about where Pharaoh, where God hardened Pharaoh's heart?" Um, is there a point where I can get to that? And yes, there is. We see it with example with Pharaoh, um, but that's not what we're talking about here, and that's something different. And and if you think that oh, God's hardened my heart. Or I blasphemed the Holy Spirit. That's the unforgivable sin that I'll never be forgiven for. You wouldn't be in a Bible study. So that's one way to discredit that. If if that thought comes to your mind, well, maybe I committed that accidentally and now I can't be forgiven. No, no, everything is forgiven. God makes that clear. Jesus makes that clear. So if that makes sense, mm-hmm. kind of. Do you think like the blasphemy part would that be more like a false prophet? Type situation? The blasphemies? Yeah. Yeah, it can be. People to worship. Somebody leading a group of people to worship them instead of. Yeah. But it's not a. Yeah. Because blasphemy is kind of a big overarching word that's used in the Bible. So some people think, well, I think a great example of this is, is the guy, Lee Strobel. He wrote the book A Case for Christ. He's a professed atheist. I believe there is no God, you know. And a lot of times atheists will make claims like, I believe that we're our own God. You know, I'm, I'm God. So I've elevated my place to that position of God. It definitely blasphemy at that point. But even that's not the unforgivable blasphemy. Because Lee Strobel, I don't know if you've ever heard of the book or read the book or the I've movie. Heard of the book. I haven't read it, but I've heard of it. But it's pretty amazing. So his wife becomes a Christian. He's a, he's a writer and he wants to, you know, a journal, writes a, a journalist and his wife becomes a Christian, so he sets out to disprove how foolish this is and starts, you know, from a journalistic standpoint and ends up convincing himself, no, this is true, and becomes a Christian. Yeah. She just said she yeah. had a book, actually. Have you seen yeah. the movie, too? I think we've seen the movie, too. Yeah. No, we tried to watch it, we couldn't, it wasn't available. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or the goal was, the absolute goal was to prove that he did not exist. Yeah. And every time he kept searching. So he that would be that would be blasphemy. Yes? Yeah, well absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, so everything he did, every ounce of what his energy went into was to prove him wrong. That was, was to the, prove that there was no God. Yeah. His wife wrong, that was the goal. And I think it was to get her to not believe either. Yes. You know, like you were done lost lost your ever loving mind, but everywhere he searched proved himself wrong it was it was kind of it's it's a it's a really good it's a good it's a good story yeah and that his heart was almost softened oh yeah yeah he ends up convincing himself through all this 
yeah. <laughs> all this studying he's doing, oh, this is true. He ends up becoming a believer, and he goes on to write many books. So even that, being an atheist, you know, doesn't is not the unforgivable sin, is not the blasphemy. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not an overarching all blasphemy. It's a very specific one. Yeah. And it's a very specific is in your the very first role of the Holy Spirit, the singular sin that he's convicted us of is not believing in Jesus. And it's that blasphemy, that particular one, you say, No, you're not true. And that's the unforgivable sin. So and it kind of ties back into what we've always been told. If you believe in Jesus, you'll be saved. If you don't believe in Jesus, you won't. And, and it's just another way of God making it clear that this is the one unforgivable sin. And there's many other places in the Bible he talks about it too. But it's just the unbelief in Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit is telling you Jesus is God and you don't believe. And that's your unforgivable sin. Okay, that's so what separates you. That I'm makes sense. Roll on that. So let's say this. So let's say you believe I've accepted Christ. I know I'm going to die. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to see Jesus. Two months later, two months before I die, let's say I get diagnosed with this horrific disease, and that's what's going to kill me, and I decide that can't, then Jesus cannot be real, and I have denied everything about, do you still go to heaven? Okay, that, well, that's a great question. Great question. <clears throat> so. Because it's happened. Oh, yeah, it has. So. It has, and you see, while we just talked through this, you see pastors who go on to become atheists, you know, um, I want to say it was Billy Graham's right-hand guy goes on to become an atheist. So how do you explain that? And, and the way that that's explained is, one, they never really received Jesus. You know, and, and I think people, oh, did I really receive him? Well, did you once live a sinful life and now you live a different life? Does, when you go to make a decision in your life, do you think, you know, how, how would this please God or anything like that? You know, you're probably saved. Are there people that, that can go on and, and profess you know, that I believe in God, go on to be pastors um, and, and treat this more like a, a job? You know, walk through this and explain this and, and that and not really believe? Yes, that, is, that can happen. Um, but let's say that they, in your scenario, the person really does receive Jesus and, and at the end of their life, they get diagnosed and they say, no, this, this must all be a false, you know, I prayed for, asked Jesus to heal me and he didn't, he must not be real. Um, if they really received him, even though they deny him at the end, are they still going to heaven? Yes, they are. Does that make sense? It's, did you really receive him? And some people get caught up on that, They're like, well, did I do this just right? Did I do that just right? Um, and for me, it, it's not, I live a perfect life, but I live a life with a lot less sin than what I had in the past. And the only reason that was possible is because of the work Jesus did in my life. And that I constantly want to grow closer to him. And that's my guarantee that I am saved. That, and, I, and I do think it, you know, I asked him into my heart. You know, I asked him into my life. I prayed the Romans 10.9. Confess with my mouth that he is God. That God raised him from the dead and I believe it in my heart. You know, and I think each person knows that. So. And each person knows their motives, too, you know. And if the people's motives is not really to receive Jesus, but to receive praises from other people, I can see that, you know, as these pastors that fall, you know, oh, receive these praises from other people, I'm popular, I'm this, I'm that. I can see that. So, so it's either one of two, I guess the answer is one of two things. Either they never truly did receive Jesus, 
you know, but they put on a show, they played the hypocrite, or they did receive Jesus, and even though they deny him at the end of their life, they're still saved. You know, you can't receive Jesus and then say, oh, I'm an atheist now. Well, you can say that. And I think the other thing, another scenario is someone receives Jesus, but then goes on to go live back in the world. Well, they're going to know, you know, the worldly sins you're in, they don't have the same appeal and the same fun, and you still have this larger conviction from the Holy Spirit that you're not living right. You know, so it's not a, well, if I see people living sinful, they must not be believers. And I think one place we see that is in Corinthians. He's writing this letter to, to Corinthian brothers, he's calling them, but they're doing some pretty awful things. And when he's calling them brothers, I take that to mean that they're brothers in Christ, that they're received salvation, but that they're not living rightly. So, make sense? It's kind of a big, a big topic to cover, but it's kind of where we led, and it's important. It's important to know that we are forgiven for all of our sins. And I think a lot of times those fiery darts from the enemy make us think we're not. Though this was a big one, you really think you're forgiven for that? Yes. God made it clear we're forgiven for all of them. So. Any more questions? No. <laughs> yeah, I got nothing. Okay. Should we sing one last song? Oh, uh, let's pray before we do, though. So one thing that is on my heart that you guys could be praying for is that we want to sponsor a church in either Uganda or South Sudan and that God would just bring us to the right one that we could do life with and be a part of their lives. Um, and they, the sponsoring them means that um, you're supporting their lead pastor and their assistant pastor um, and financially, prayerfully, um, and in ministry. So, and it's something that's kind of on our heart. The other thing that's been on my heart lately is just praying for the, the sheriff's department. I think that we talked about evil in the world, that the, the battle is spiritual, not against flesh and blood, and I think they get to see the front lines of that. They can see some of the most awful things that go on here in this county. So that's just been on my heart. So things to pray for. I think and it, lately, too, like for whatever reason. Yeah, it seems tough. So if we have other things you guys want to pray for, let me know, and we'll add them to the prayer list. Dear Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for being able to come together to worship you, to learn about your love for us, about your son Jesus, about how you look to us tenderly, you look to us as a father that looks to his children, that you don't treat us harshly or, or judge us for all of our sins, and that you love us, you forgive us, you come alongside of us. And I just ask you to meet each one of us right where we're at. You know what we're going through. You know our thoughts, our desires. You know the struggles in our life. You would come alongside, you would encourage us, you would exhort us, you would draw us closer to you. You would help us to be a light and a witness. I do ask that you would guide us, the church that we get to come along, that you would um, just be orchestrating that now, that you would bring the church that has been for us to, to be a part of um, and for us to be a part of their lives. And I ask that you would watch over 
the sheriff's department and the, the Elizabeth Police Department and the, the local uh, municipalities around us, you know, to their police forces, that you would protect them physically, that you would keep them safe, that you would protect them spiritually, and that you would um, just keep the enemy from working against them, that the things that they see and that they go through takes a toll on themselves and on their families, and that you would protect their families, that you would protect them. Um, Lord, I just pray all these things in your mighty name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.